0: Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome. We are going to take a look at the commercial real estate investing landscape over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. And to do so, I'm very pleased to welcome Zach Goodman, director of the commercial real estate firm TSP. Hi, Zach. How are you?
2: I'm very good, Maggie. Nice to see you.
1: Yeah, welcome to Real Vision. So Zach and I were at a conference together in person in Lisbon just a couple of weeks ago that Real Vision held for our Club B group of family offices. But it's your first time on the platform because I asked you to come on when we were there together. Um, So we're thrilled about that. So To start off, why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself and and what TSP does?
2: Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. Um, Delighted to be here. TSP is uh, a real estate investor and manager. Uh, we control, invest, and manage in about 1.2 billion pounds worth of real estate in the United Kingdom. Um, about 90% of that is in and around uh, London, uh, prim- primarily in commercial real estate. Um, and we're active and growing. We're 15 years old. It's led by me and a very experienced management team. And uh, uh, we're quite eager to carry on growing the platform, and um, it was fantastic to be in Lisbon with you and sort of speaking to some of the more global investors who, you know, look and see how they're looking at the world and 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 what their next move is.
1: Yeah, and I think that London, um, especially, is a real proxy for some of. Um, I think the concerns and maybe the opportunities in real estate. Um, so I would love to to hear your thoughts and let's start big picture because when we talk about commercial real estate, the commercial real estate sector right now, I think it's fair to say most of the tone is pretty bearish. In fact, there's a headline I just saw in Fortune over the past week that read economist Gary Schilling warns the commercial real estate bubble is about to burst. I mean, I, I think there's this pretty steady drumbeat of that uh, that kind of sentiment What are you, what's your sense of what's happening? What do you see in the markets where you operate?
2: I think for me, I think there's cause for concern within commercial real estate without a single shadow of a doubt. Um, the simple way of looking at it is the world needs a refinance right now. We've moved from, you know, a 10, 15 year regime of incredibly low cost of capital. Um, and real estate investors and entrepreneurs have taken advantage of that. They've bought a lot of assets across, uh, uh, across the world, and um, th- those assets have been bought at incredibly cheap rates. We've now come in into a post-pandemic world where inflation's caught up with us. In order to fight that inflation, central banks across the world have had to raise rates, uh, and 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 this is having an impact directly on real estate. You know, the the correlation of rates to real estate is is similar, but much more direct than the correlation to of rates to corporate America. We don't work off a, an EBITDA multiple or price to earnings multiple. We are we are directly correlated to um, interest rates and, and and typically should be trading at around 100 to 200 basis points um, above those rates. So those saying that they're concerned with, with where we're at in the cycle with real estate and where that stands within rates, they're not wrong. I think where I'd probably step in and correct that is I'm not sure if I'd call it a bubble. I think a bubble sort of envisages that, Prior to these rates climbing up, that there was irresponsible lending in the market, that people were grossly overleveraging assets, that we were leveraging at one hundred percent LTVs, uh, that we were underwriting, you know, impossible numbers—the kind of um, antics that we did see before the great, uh, the great recession. So I'm, I'm, I'm unsure that it's a bubble. I think there's there's the market has been correcting is correcting still and I think next into next year we'll see more corrections but I think it's a much more nuanced picture than 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 a lot of people give it credit for.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair and I think that anyone looking at it does does feel that. One of the one of the things I think that has people concerned and we'll talk a little bit more about that sort of impact from rates is that there's a double whammy isn't there because you've the higher rates but then you also have this dynamic of vacancies and the whole shift to hybrid work, which people are still trying to figure out, frankly, how much of it's permanent, how much of it's temporary. Um, It's a big debate here in the U.S. I sit, uh, you know, not far from New York City. Much of the many of the people I know, I- including myself for years, commuted in five days. It wasn't even a question. I mean, it was just what you did and now that's radically changed and there are still really tense conversations from you know companies that may want their workers back in and then others that just realize and recognize it's never going to go back to 5 days is is that hybrid work issue as much of a problem in Europe and in the UK
2: so i'm going to i'm i'm going to step in there and say i don't think it's a double whammy i think it's actually a triple whammy but I think you're 100% right. I think flex, work from home is, is a prong that's hurting us. I think interest rates, as we spoke about before, is hurting us. And something that we can roll to a bit later is, is also ESG, which is, mm-hmm. is is starting to cause obsolescence in the market as well. Moving back to flex or work from home or hybrid or, I mean, pre-pandemic, I'm pretty sure we all called it agile working as, as, as well. There's, there's a million names for it. No, in short, I'm not that worried about it. Um, I think we I would argue that we were seeing a move to more flexible working for the last 10, 15 years. The the rise of the likes of WeWorks and other service office providers were responding to a to a, a nascent demand in the market anyway. I think the way that that's impacted some landlords is probably, you know, uh, affecting certain landlords much more negatively who hadn't geared their buildings up for being able to, 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 to serve this demand. And and actually, we're seeing the more flexible landlords in the market, certainly in the UK, um, are doing very, very well at the moment in terms of occupancy because they're offering people what they want, which is a more frictionless uh, tenancy. They're offering them shorter lease terms so that the occupants feel like they have more choice and that they can be more malleable to, to how their business waxes and wanes over time. Um, But no, if we're looking at the idea that everybody will be working from home within the next few years, personally, for me, it's a nonsense. Um, I actually think that occupancy is doing okay. Um, We are at the higher end of the 10-year averages. I think there's a big changeover going on. I think a lot of businesses have taken the last couple of years to say, do we need this much space? Do we need to be in this location? How are we working going forward? But certainly in places like London, what we're also seeing at the same time is a lot of supply being taken out of the market. Mm-hmm. And it's been taken out of the market because of obsolescence. All the while, we've got a growing population here. There's net migration into, into London. We've got a very, very slow pipeline of new stocks. So actually, a lot of the big real estate houses in London are now calling out and saying, we have a shortage in t- 2026 um, forward. So it's a mixed picture. I think in the high end of the market, um, it's all full up. And I think in the commodity end of the market, this kind of low quality end of the market, the tier three, the tier four, however, again, however you want to classify that, uh, you can't give away that stuff. And so what we're seeing is, is a market that is bifurcating. And we've seen this before. We've seen this in retail. We've seen this in, in, in hotel markets. And I think it's going to be down to the savvy investor moving forward being able to differentiate between what is good and what is not, and not conflating the whole mess and saying it's all bad, it's all negative. That's an overreaction. And that is personally what I think we have in the market right now. So I'm less pessimistic than most, I would say.
1: That's so interesting. So when you, and I love bringing up the third issue, talk to me a little bit about what what you mean by ESG. How is that impacting it? Because that doesn't come up a lot. And I think it maybe speaks to the nuance that you're just referring to. What do you mean ESG? How is that a potential problem? And I'm, I'm assuming if there's a flip side, an opportunity as well.
2: There's a huge opportunity, as there is with flex, by the way, because these are these are levers that landlords actually have the ability to pull and add value with, um, unlike interest rates, where there's there's really very little they can do about that. So ESG, as far as I'm concerned, is is going to be more of a regulatory issue than anything else, but it does affect consumer buying trends and everything else. So certainly, in the case of the United Kingdom, we've signed up to be carbon net zero by 2050. The way in which the United Kingdom will look to To get us there is within different sectors setting milestones for how we're performing on a sustainable basis. So in real estate in the UK, we have a system called the EPC, Energy Performance Certificates, and that's rated A, B, C, D, E, and F, and G. And what they've basically been doing is putting cliff edges every couple of years into the future saying, okay, from 2025, you must be EPC C or better in order to legally be able to lease your property. By 2030, you must be EPC B or better, and so on and so forth. The problem being 85% of commercial property in the UK today is EPC C or worse. And so, if you think about that, in six, seven years, we're expected to get 85% of all commercial property in the UK up to this level. Uh, it's not possible to do that. We don't have the supply chain to do that. The demand surge will, in itself, cause a whole mess, including inflation and what have you. And so really what we're seeing with ESG and with the government's commitment to carbon net zero is that it is going to force certain assets in different classes to become obsolete. And that's a big, big problem. And I think, interestingly, I'm no expert on the uh, the US market, but looking at some of the places where there's the most distress in the office market, we're looking at 1970s, 1980s um, purpose-built office blocks, that are structurally very, very difficult to uh, adapt to anything else. And those mm-hmm. are typically the buildings that are the worst um, energy performing um, buildings as well. so th- 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 these things are linked. This isn't just down to the behavioral uh, practices of businesses not necessarily wanting to use certain offices anymore. So that's just the beginning, I think of where esG, where the sort of the tire hits the tarmac with uh, with esG, it's also driving a huge amount of cost inflation into new developments. It's causing speed bumps in the planning process where you've got government authorities demanding much more costly approaches to design and build. We very famously at the moment in London got a situation where there's a very, very large and prominent building on Oxford Street, one of the the most uh, well-known streets in, 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 in Europe. They've denied now twice for a building to be knocked down and redeveloped. And the reason why they've denied Uh, the building being knocked down is because they say that there is already too much embedded carbon within the structure. And so you have the developers basically arguing, it's not commercially viable for us to retrofit this particular building. It needs to be knocked down and started again. And you've got the government pushing back and saying, no, you've got to do something with this. And we're getting gridlock. We're getting friction. Mm So ESG is kind of quietly and pervasively making its mark in, in, in our market right now. And I can only see that getting more intense over the coming years and decades as we creep towards this this net zero goal.
0: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see... Whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content, go to realvision.com forward slash the future i'll see you there let's unfuck your future together so is it fair to say that there's there it sounds like there's a problem overall with all of the well certainly at least with the vacancy and the um and the esg part of it that the buildings that are older face challenges if you are an owner or an operator of one of those buildings it's difficult it sounds like it's difficult to revamp them or renovate them or to in order for them to thrive in the environment or meet the demand that's out there so is that is that true can they be repurposed or are they just essentially stranded assets at this point
2: i think I think many of them can be repurposed. I mean, everything's a question of money and skill at the end of the day. And interestingly, you know, if we think about what real estate has been for many investors over the past millennia, never mind 20 or 30 years, it's been the business of let and forget. We buy the land, we have the asset, we put it on a nice long lease to a tenant, we forget about it. We, don't, we, we didn't have landlords coming back in three, four years later and you know, fitting new windows and doing new office layouts and picking paint swatches and what have you. So this is a new skill set that landlords are suddenly en masse having to adopt at a time where money is in short supply and what, what, what there is of it is coming at a premium. Um, and at the same time, build costs are, have inflated significantly. And so we have a lack of that skill set in the market. We've got a lack of, our supply chain is probably not big enough to handle the demand that, that 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 is going to be coming um, at this segment, and then there's some other contextual matters: uh, demographics, geography. How old is the building? You know, in the UK, for example, interestingly, we find it quite easy to to retrofit Victorian buildings. They were built to be very high occupancy. They were built to uh, have you know uh, machinery from the Industrial Revolution working in them. They're naturally ventilated. They were built without the idea of air conditioning. Or electronics in mind. And so they're quite easy to pick apart. But then you get to the sort of mid 50s, early 60s, when people started playing with you know, concrete prefab. And you can just imagine it when you're looking at a concrete slab to slab building and you're, you're thinking, how on earth am I going to run new pipes through there and drill holes here and pop a staircase there? They're just much harder to deal with. Mm. And so it's a mixed picture. I think the market's starting to get this. It's starting to adapt to it. There's lots more operators, whether they be development managers and asset managers coming to to solve this problem. I think a lot of landlords are kind of sat there in a very difficult position where if they've got a building that's facing obsolescence, they're sort of, do I just try and sell this building and get out of it into the market right now? Do I partner with someone to try and develop and refurb this? Can I do either? Am I willing to accept the value of of what this building has become? Um, So the sorting hat is very much uh, uh, working working away at the moment, and in property, it is an illiquid asset class, and so yeah. that filtration system is 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 pretty sludgy. Yeah,
1: I, I I love that let and forget model being being sort of something of the past. Um, that that we hear a lot. Extend and pretend too, right? Like so, everyone knows these are difficult problems. What do you do? Hope that something changes, maybe. We have seen rates come down a little bit here in the U.S. They might come down more, but is it going to be fast enough to resolve this? I mean, are, can this sort of you know trio of issues resolve themselves enough that they just don't have to pretend that you can get some forward motion? Or is it inevitable that we're going to see defaults and bankruptcies?
2: Again, a little bit of both. I, 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 I'm a big believer in the market solving the problems for us. so. Will the rates come down fast enough? I, I, I can't tell you that. But as long as the rates stay higher, it's prohibiting more development happening and more refurbishment happening, which is therefore making higher quality product more scarce and mm. therefore more valuable because demand is increasing for it. And so at some point you get this equilibrium where rents come up high enough to kind of uh, make cash flows look sensible at our current financing rates. And We've seen we've seen softening in commercial prices in, in 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 London. I would say since very early 2022. So I, I would say even on high quality um, product, we've seen prices soften 25, 30 percent, and in some cases we've, we've we've seen softening that goes way beyond that. Um, I think where where we see distress next year, where we see bankruptcies and what have you, is going to be in scenarios where. I think landlords have left a bad position, let a bad position fester for too long. Uh, and the banks got fed up and decided it's time to cut our losses. Mm. I think banks are being quite sophisticated about what they go after and what they don't go after as well, because they don't want to be left holding the baby. Um, and unlike post, you know, post credit crunch, um, rates hit the deck, uh, stimulus started coming through. And so actually, that was a market where you were able to clear stock, mm-hmm. you know, and you were able to clear stock at quite, quite good speed if the banks were willing to let it out. I actually think we have the opposite now. We have rates that have gone up. Um, the market's gone incredibly illiquid. There's, there's virtually no stimulus around that, you know, we're, we're, we're still in a QT phase here. And so I think that's why banks are extending and pretending because they know really they've got no clearance market. So if they start stepping in and, and taking the keys off people, then in effect, they're no longer being financiers. They're going to be property managers, and they're probably going to be property managers for the next couple of years. So it's an interesting one to see if we do hit some kind of equilibrium. There's always going to be bankruptcies and distress and, 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 and financings that just cannot simply work anymore. Yeah. Um, whether, whether it's as cataclysmic, I think, as some people have forecast, and, 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 and what we saw 14 years ago, Again, I'm probably a little bit more on the optimistic side. I I think the market's going to do a lot of the sorting for us. I think it has been doing for a while now
1: yeah. and I think the I think the um the lessons from the great financial crisis for banks was that they don't want to be property owners. They didn't want to be property owners when it was a residential building that they could understand a lot more. A commercial building with some of the challenges, the sort of larger challenges that you're talking about in this changing esG world sounds like something that they would not want to do at all. So there's an incentive, I think, for them to try to at least um you know work with their their current uh lenders uh Quintin said uh opportunity lurks looking forward to this opportunity lurks in the most hated sectors so how are you thinking about the opportunity since you are a little bit more optimistic how are you investing in this kind of environment and are you kind of focused more on new buildings and and the buildings that are that sort of high end where you see this potential shortage coming
2: so Uh, I think it's a great question, Quinton. I am a a humongous fan of the late great Sam Zell. One of your countrymen who passed away earlier this year. I think his expression was, "When everyone's looking left, I'm looking right." Um, And so, at a time when I I, I think there's, I think the market's mispricing office assets, and rather than going into the market at the top of the market and buying the high-quality assets, I think it's interesting to look at those assets that sit just below that have uh, a journey to go on in terms of refurbishment, repositioning and what have you to make them high quality. But I think what the market is gonna be asking us for over the next two, three, four years is for for more high quality assets and they're in short supply. I think to build them out of the ground, certainly in my market in Europe where um, land and planning is very, very constrained, the way you wanna go about and do it is, is look for those slightly those assets that might be a little bit at risk of going into obsolescence, but bringing them back from the dead and actually taking them, taking them up to, to high quality. And and you know we we've been focused on doing that for quite a long time in London anyway. Sort of buying the crumbs off the end, end of the bigger players' table, um, and and giving them a bit of a glow up.
1: Uh, this might be related, but Matt asking if we're if we are going to be in an inflation higher inflationary environment moving forward. How, if at all, do you think that will affect real estate strategy?
2: It's very interesting. I mean, real estate strategy over the last, certainly 15, 20 years has favored the longer lease. Capture the longer lease with a great covenant, have security of income, build in rent reviews and what have you. But rent reviews never really efficiently pass through inflation. So if you take, again, offices as an example, as we move into the flex market, we're seeing much more price action at the one-year, two-year, three-year term certain. And so if you, like, that's, if you imagine it just as a strip of cash flow, this is giving us far greater reset points um, yeah. and allowing us to kind of pass, pass inflation through. So you know, as an example, our portfolio, we, we've seen our, our rents increase about 30 40% post-pandemic. I, I wish we'd seen our capital values increase 34, 40% post pandemic, but we've seen the rents go up. And what's interesting is it's stock we've invested in, it's stock we've spent money in, and, and we're able to pass through that capex through into the final product. And we're, we've been able to monetize inflation coming back through the, the rent. So, I mean, traditionally and historically, if you look, inflation has actually been very good for real estate. It's it's It often comes through inefficiently. Um, and, 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 lag, and lags behind everything that's going on. But I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in uh, the, the school of Mark Twain. by they ain't making any more of it. And I think if you really do want to zoom out and have a bird's eye view over the last 20, 40, 60, 80 years, you've never seen real estate go down.
0: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. I want to ask
1: you about ESG. It's such an interesting, the minute you say that, you know, people feel very tribal about it and you're going to have people immediately hating everything. Um, And we know that there are some difficulties and difficulties, I think a little bit different here versus where you're sitting because some of it's already been regulated in Europe. So you're having to already sort of be dealing with some of the regulations. Um we don't have as much of it here, or if we do it, really varies on a state by state level. Um, and so there's a lot. But still broadly, we can see where the trajectory is. Is this just a negative and a cost that has to be overcome that you've got to factor into when you're looking at investments? or is there? Upside on or a flip side once you make that initial investment. How are you thinking about the math around ESG? I I
2: I look at ESG as, as as ultimately demand-driven. Whether it's demanded by consumers, whether it's demanded by the government, it's something that's demand-driven. And therefore, one way or another, we have to price it into the market. I think a lot of people that get distressed about the subject of ESG. Um, are probably affected by the tribalism, the activism that we see from people that have very loud voices about what they think. And, you know, then the scientists come up and then the people come up to knock the scientists down. I look at sustainability and and ESG in a slightly different way. Ultimately, the idea is to try and make things consume less, consume less energy, waste stuff, send less stuff to landfill. That is waste. Um, And that's kind of like, I kind of take the ethics of my grandmother, mend and make do, waste not, want not. And you know what? You spend less money doing that. And ultimately, I think you end up making more money. We've noticed there's a trend in London for the past 10 years that many of our customers that are coming to our buildings are asking us more and more questions about the ethics, the, the amount of consumption. We've started to see a lot more corporate policies. We see this CSO role, chief sustainability officer role, a lot more in big companies and what have you. Um, we see it in the consumer markets, veganism, how that that took off. We see certain brands who have a more ethical stance doing tremendously well, Patagonia being a massive example of one of them. Mm-hmm. So, I think first off, the idea that there's a cost to sustainability well, there's a, there's a cost to not being sustainable as well, let's face it. You know, and I think the brown discount on in, in real estate is definitely being proven um, these days. I'm quite a fan of sustainability, I think it feels good to do something that is practical and functional and doesn't harm the planet. Um, that being said. I think there's a skill set around it to understand when you are engaging in something that is really just virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. And when you're actually engaging in something that, hey, do you know what? Over the next 20 years, this building's going to use 30% energy, less energy a year. I can attach a cost saving to that. right? And at the same time, this is helping me market my building better. And there's a higher grade and a better quality of investors that want to come and buy my building because they're ESG mandated. And so I think if we can push away the the shouting and the screaming and, and, and the people in the middle of boats, you know, mm. holding banners up against oil tankers. And we get down to brass tacks of what is ESG trying to achieve? Um, is it going to go away? It's probably not. Um, how do we make money out of this and deliver a great result for the planet? And I, so I, I think capitalism will be the, 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 the way of solving um, the, 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 the climate crisis um, mm. In the world, I just I just think we have to embrace it and kind of get a little bit more objective about it.
1: What's a brown discount in commercial real estate? What does that What does that look like? So
2: again, moving back to what I was talking about with EPC. So you're in the market to go buy a property. You see a, an office block or a retail park for sale, and you see that it's EPC E. Mm. But you know, in 2025, it needs to be EPC C. So immediately, you're having to price in some capex to drive it from EPC E to C. It's harder work, it's much more technical stuff. It could involve putting in solar panels, it could involve some really heavy duty work on your HVAC and what have you. And you know, people will be like, ugh, oh, I'd rather go and find something easier to do. Likewise, the brand discount comes because there's just generally less buyers for it. The biggest price payers in the commercial market are insurance companies, pension funds, private equity funds. And guess what? They've been selling to all their investors for the past four or five years. We're (laughs) ESG compliant. We won't buy any ESG compliant stocks. So there's less people paying for it, you're getting a brown discount. On the converse side, like we're seeing in London, for example, if your building's BRIAM Excellent, which is a certification system for how you develop the building, you're seeing about a 14% premium in value for the building. And I think to get to Briam Excellent, some people are managing to do this by only inflating their bill costs by 1% or 2%. So again, the market's giving you an arbitrage, a, a lever to add value there. Um, and we should embrace these opportunities before you know, it closes up and becomes efficient.
1: Amazing. So for investors who are looking in this space, let's sort of leave people with some, some practical advice. Um, and it, it it certainly from the conversation we just had is much more nuanced than, oh, it's the ticking time bomb that's gonna blow up macro or it's fine. Everything will work out fine. Obviously, there there's going to be there are gonna be winners and losers. If you're somebody who's from an investment point of view wants exposure to real estate in your portfolio. What to look for? Like, what do they, what do they need to look for? Do they need to educate themselves on the age and certifications of the buildings that are owned by any given? What what do they need to do?
2: Yeah, I think I think I think firstly, for those getting back into commercial real estate, they need to have a thesis. Like, why are they going into this space? So, a lot of people are sat on the sidelines at the moment, putting their cash into bonds and what have you. I think there's going to be come a time when people wake up and realize that. They might be just about chasing or keeping up with inflation, but they're not making money there. Um, I think the reason why people got, get into real estate and why they like it is one: it is tangible, it's aesthetic, it's emotional, it's physical. There's longevity associated with it. Certainly, in the UK, many of the buildings we buy were there a long time before us, and they'll be a long time after us. Um, in terms of what you're looking for, yeah, you're you are looking for some red flags. So. I think having a having someone that knows sustainability at least a phone call away when you're looking at an asset is key. Is this going to be a problem for me? You know, in the in the short term, medium term, long term, and what kind of problem is that, and is it resolvable? I think secondly, looking for assets that people are going to want in in, in the future, and and I think one of the things that we've seen a huge amount, a huge tranche of investors get burnt on is these kind of gateway fund strategies where. People kind of looked to to buy commodity offices in in gateway cities and completely missed the kind of emergent sort of markets that were coming up because they were kind of going for this, you know, safety. You want to be buying into areas that, that, again, like we used to invest in real estate, they've got something to say about themselves. They've got some agglomerative features. Someone's building a railway into it or a new airport into it, or it's got four universities within an hour of it. I mean, for me in London... I love to buy along the crossrail. It's a new piece of transport infrastructure that was completed this year, which connects 26 million people to London within 30 minutes. It's not rocket science. 26 million people can get to this asset's front door within 30 minutes. I think that's going to get more and more valuable um, over time. Mm. So yeah, I think all of these things that I'm talking about, by the way, to the real estate investors that are watching this are going to be saying, he's literally stating the obvious. Mm. And of course, the major one will be location, location, location. But these things are true. I think what you need to have is a more constructive view of what is going to be good in the market and what is not going to be good. I think if you sit there and look at it and just say the whole thing's bad, the whole thing's gone, no one's ever going to use any of these real assets. Well, our population is growing. Um, certainly in little countries like England, every square inch of land has, has tremendous value and is finite and is scarce. And there, there are going to be lots of clever ways of making money out of this.
1: Zach, fantastic stuff. There was so much that I just learned um, in there, and I think you're right. Uh, It's a topic that's often painted with a really broad brush, and we need to be a little bit more uh, specific and smart about it if we're thinking about putting some money to work there. So thank you so much. I'm so glad you are able to come on. A
2: pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope you'll
1: come back again. I will. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching. Any questions afterwards that you have, drop them in the chat and we'll see if we can get them answered. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Take care and good luck out there.